Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is March 24th. I am David Gasper, joined by my co-host, Mac Carroll. And we are the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com, here to talk all things Milwaukee Brewers. Lots of stuff to talk about in this week's episode, including roster battles, spring training, the upcoming opening day of the regular season, and, of course, some Garrett Mitchell. And joining us this week, uh, we've had, we had so much fun the first time, uh, we had to have him back on again, Doug Russell of 97.3 The Game and the Doug Russell Podcast. Doug, thanks so much for, for coming back on. Glad we didn't scare you away after the first time. <laughs> Never. Thanks, David. Good to see you guys. Uh, Matt, how are you doing? I am great. Uh, it's weird uh, recording in the lights, by the way. It's nice uh, having longer days here. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. very nice. Love it. Yeah, it means baseball's little... right around the corner. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I I was all already finally able to get my first taste of uh, baseball this past week. Uh, I went down to to Arizona to spring training. Oh, man, it was so good being in a ballpark again. It was 85 degrees. Matt was trying to live vicariously through me. And very much. Did, did, it, did it work, Matt? Um, I, I, I felt pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Yes, I did feel like I was <laughs> right there in Arizona with you guys, even though it was like 45 up here in Wisconsin on my week off. But it, oh, it just felt like I was around warm baseball as well. Yeah, I picked a great week to head down there, and then didn't I? <laughs> yeah, you did. Oh man, yeah, it was it was great. It was it, it was kind of rough like the first day because we had the first flight out of uh, out of Milwaukee at 6 a.m. So when your flight's at 6 a.m., you got to wake up at like three, uh, <laughs> which I, I think is ridiculous. But sure enough, there we are waking up at three in the morning, and I'm just like, my brain is not mentally prepared for this. So. Get this, we're going through, you know, we're boarding the plane, whatever else, getting ready to head on out, and we're, we're taxiing, we're heading to the end of the runway, getting ready to take off, head down to Phoenix. And, you know, the flight attendants or captains, whoever, it's like, you know, make sure your seatbelts are fastened, we're cleared for departure. And it's like, okay, great, woo. Then we've got 30 more seconds until we get to the end of the runway, and then we can just take off. And then, we've, then we get to the end of the runway, 30 seconds later, and then instead of, you know, revving up the engines and, and going down and taking off, we just still kind of puts down the runway, turn off to the side, like make a little circle there and then park it. <laughs> and we're just like, um, what's going on? Like the, I, I thought like the wind changed and they had to send us to a different runway for like, you know, takeoff or whatever. And then the captain gets on and he's like, ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. Uh, so at the Southwest Command Center uh, in Dallas, uh, it there is believed to be a fire. Uh, the fire alarms are going off uh, and everyone has evacuated the building. And so there's no one there to monitor the flights. Uh, so all Southwest flights across the country have been ground stopped. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. We were this, we were at some time, at some time between when we were cleared for departure to 30 seconds later, hitting the runway, the fire alarms go off <laughs> at the Southwest command center. So everywhere across, I'm like, oh, my God, there's a fire there. We are going to be stuck here forever. We're not going to get down. Like, we were 30 seconds away from just getting to Arizona. And, like, I, I thought there was, like, a legit fire that was going to burn down the whole thing. That, like, that's why they had to stop all this. And then 15 minutes later, it's like, yeah, it turned out to be a false alarm. We're all ready to go again. <laughs> no. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> So could have been worse. I was uh, uh, my wife and I got tickets. Now, my wife, uh, forgive her. She's an, uh, an Ohio State fan. 
And uh, this was about 10 years ago. So I was covering the Rose Bowl and I we had enough time for me to land, like get a change of clothes and then go right back to the airport the next very early the next morning to fly down to the Sugar Bowl because she somehow got tickets to the Sugar Bowl randomly. Mm. And the flight was delayed like four times. We got to New Orleans and got to the we got to the uh, to the hotel about an hour before kickoff. Got a great cab driver who just flew down in you know because our our uh, our uh, hotel was by the airport and got us to the dome. We got in our seats about thirty seconds before kickoff, but that was Ooh. as close as you, and we paid a lot of money for those tickets. That is as close as I ever want to cut it to to uh, to that ever again because of an airplane delay. So don't uh, lesson to be learned. Don't fly out day uh, day of game. Man, those are those are all rough stories. All my flights have been they get there right on time to the point even where uh, I think it was the year before. Uh, the hurricane in Houston, um, there was a bunch of rain and flooding in Houston and we were flying into a thunderstorm and our pilot was like, no, come on, I'm a professional. We're doing this. And we came (laughs) down right into the storms. It's like you're above the clouds. It's nice and sunny. And then all of a sudden it just looks like the apocalypse outside. There's (laughs) thunder and lightning. You can see the neighborhoods flooded. Uh, and this guy's like, nah, I got this. And he, he lands, it was a little bit bumpy of a landing and no, nah, we were good. Even that didn't delay my flight. Like I get, wow. I fly places, I get there on time somehow. You're, I'm, wow. I'm going to fly with you, you next on time. All my flights. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down. Exactly. It's, I, I'm, yeah. I'm good luck for flights somehow. Yeah. Next time we fly to Arizona, I got to take you with us. <laughs> there, there you go. I, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And I was, I was lucky too, because we were, um, probably like midway through the the A group for boarding there on Southwest. And like, I'm a tall guy, so I need the emergency row. Like I need the, the extra leg room seating. And both times, both the flight down there and the flight back, I was able to snag the window seats in the emergency row. Like hey. my spot was there. It was awesome. Although on, on the return flight, there was this one lady that was like sitting there on, on the aisle seat in that row. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just, you know, sneak right in there and take the window. And she's like, and, you know, the flight attendant is like, you know, sitting like in the row before, like watching everyone, you know, pile in, helping people, whatever. And she's like, oh, but I'm like, I'm saving these two seats for, you know, whoever. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is not how this works. And no, the flight this attendant, is a movie theater for crying out loud. Yeah. And the <laughs> flight attendant's just like. Yeah, no, but he actually needs it. Like, look how tall he is. He needs the the emergency row. So shout out to my guy, David, my flight attendant on Southwest Flight 2051 back to Milwaukee. Uh, You're the bomb. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, David, let me ask you this. How how crowded was your flight? Because my wife and I went down there, uh, not for baseball, but for just kind of a quick getaway about uh, maybe a month and a half or so ago. It was actually right before they broke camp. Uh, so there weren't any, there wasn't any baseball to see, but our flight was three quarters empty. What, what, what was yours like? Full flight, every single seat. Seriously? Yep. There middle there seats too? All the, yep. All the middle ones. Uh, yeah. We, we got, we got the email like a few days before our flight that Southwest was having to like that. They were going to have to uh, book middle seats on the, on the airplane. So that sucks. Yeah. Completely full flight. I was hoping that that was going to be a thing for a while. 
yeah. if there was anything good that could come out of this stupid pandemic, it might be that, <laughs> you know, they don't cram us into airplanes like sardines anymore. I would just like the extra leg room on all the seats. So I wouldn't have to fight for like that one row because it's it's open seating there. So I hear you, man. Just take it. So that, I'm six that's, two, so I don't know how tall you are, David, but it, I mean, I'm I, six I, eight. Oh, geez. All right, never mind. I'll sit yeah. down back over here. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like I, I was lucky that that no one else was really trying to to snag those seats because typically you see a whole bunch of um, you know, like short people or whatever that are just like, oh, I'm just gonna take you know all this seats. Like you don't need that. Like yeah, come on. Like like leave it to us tall people to to take the extra legroom seats. Yeah. So heard that. Yeah. So and you fun. got six inches on me. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Come on. Come on, man. Uh, yeah. But it was fun. Baseball. Yeah, baseball. It was, it was fun getting down watching a baseball game, you know, getting getting in there to uh, uh, American Family Fields of Phoenix. It was it was great walking in, you know, seeing the guy, you know, scanning the ticket, going through whatever and and just walking in, seeing a baseball field, seeing other people um it was it was i couldn't stop smiling for two hours like it was it, i it haven't was, been to a ball game since the last game of the 2019 regular season that was the last ball game so i i didn't uh, go down to spring training at all last year i didn't cover any games last season when they came back for the 60 game season so i i've never gone anywhere near this long without going to a baseball game. So I might get emotional the first time I Mm -hmm. walk into American family field this year. I mean, I can just to smell the grass and to to see it and to feel it, touch it. I mean, it's, um, you know, I I told you before we got started, I got my first shot today. So I go back in what, three or four weeks for the, for the second shot. And, you know, I, I'd encourage everybody else to go out and, you know, let's end this pandemic. Let's get back to normal, man. Let's get back to the ballpark. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I want to see all my uh, baseball fan friends. Let's all be there together, right? Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Let's go. Let's let's end this thing. Enough is enough. Yeah, I, I've got my tickets to uh, opening day as well, so nice. I will I will be there. We it was it was crazy too because like it like that first opened up for season seat holders at like what, what was it ten o'clock last Wednesday, mm-hmm. which was like the exact same time that we landed in Phoenix and just got cell service again. So my, so my dad was able to, to quick on his phone as soon as, as soon as we landed and, and snag some. Um, so yeah, we're, cause the, like that was the other thing we were worried about there with, with the flight, because um, if that got delayed too much longer, you know, all of a sudden we're, we were, we were without uh, cell service for the first, you know, 20, 30, whatever minutes of when tickets are available who knows where you're going to end up sitting. So if at all, yeah, if at all. Um, so we were able to, to snag some spots on the loge level. Uh, it's, so it's, it's going to be pretty nice. nice. Um, but yeah. See, being able to see all that. Um, I got to see Yelich swing again. Um, got to see, I got to see the Jackie Bradley jr. Cannon up close. You know, that, that was really <laughs> kind of the, the fun part because, um, on the game on Saturday against the Reds, uh, when he was playing out there in right field, um, you know, he had a couple of the, he had the gun at, at home plate, uh, gunning down the base runner and, uh, he had the throw down a third, um, and just seeing it, you know, right there. Cause he was like down in the corner and just being able to see the fire, see the, uh, see the throw, see the, uh, 
curve on the throw and everything. It was just, it was beautiful. Um, and then the next day we see him walking into the dugout at, at Ampham Fields with Phoenix. And, and my dad's just like, hey, Jackie, keep that cannon loaded. And he just kind of, <laughs> you know, raises his arm, does a little fist, fist pump and a ch and just <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> love I'm that just, that's great like man i think we're gonna love jackie bradley jr oh, yeah. here in a brewer's uniform yeah he was a fan favorite i know in boston and they hated losing him but uh boy i i think that the, the brewer's defense which could have used some work after last season that's the one thing that i'm really looking forward to seeing this year you've got colton wong at second base now and You've got three guys that have won gold gloves, potentially, that could be in the outfield at any given time. And, and look, even Avicel Garcia, who I don't think is ever going to be on anyone's shortlist to win a gold glove, but he did a decent job last year defensively uh, in center field. I, I wasn't expecting very much from him, and he played a legitimate center field uh, in Locaine's absence. But, yeah, when you've got Jackie Bradley Jr., Lo, uh, Locaine, and Christian Yelich, those are three gold glovers in your outfield. You've got a two-time gold glover at second base. I I I, I don't know if the Brewers are going to win the division this year. I think St. Louis is really hard and going to be really hard to beat. But I, I do like the additions that David Stearns and Matt Arnold made this offseason. I really do. Yeah, there was a I don't know if it was that first Jackie Bradley game or not, but there was a game that was a perfect example of that um, where someone from the other team hit one. It was, looked like it was going right to the right center gap. Um, and I'm watching it and thinking, oh, that's going to drop. And the speed with which Bradley and Avi closed on that ball, it ended up just being a running catch for Garcia. But in a lot of outfields, that thing would have dropped. And so they are going to be able to cover a lot of ground this year between whoever's in that outfield. Well, and Avi also lost 35 pounds in the offseason, and I think that yeah, that's only going did. to help his defense as well. So I'm happy to eat my words if he turns into himself into a gold glove outfielder i'll i'll be happy to come on your show and tell you i was wrong yeah yeah for sure and, and garcia is just you know with you said dropping that 35 pounds i mean he was looking he's looking good down there he's looking good offensively he's looking good defensively um shape of his life been, yeah best shape of his life Evansville garcia love having a great spring it. offensively too mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and uh, another guy, another outfielder having a great spring offensively down there, Garrett Mitchell, man. I mean, that, that dude has just been super impressive. He started off 10 for 20 uh, to, to start his Cactus League season. It, it's not supposed to be that easy uh, for a 2020 draftee. Six of his hits off left-handed pitchers, uh, showcasing the speed, a bunch of stolen bases. Uh, Garrett Mitchell's the guy that has really been impressive. I got to see him a couple of at-bats, and, and he's looking good. Um, and now really kind of the question a lot of people are asking is how soon can we get this guy uh, to Milwaukee? So, Doug, what, what do you think the timeline is for Garrett Mitchell to uh, get his major league debut? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be in 2021. Uh, again, like you said, I mean, he was just drafted less than a year ago in the June draft in 2020. Uh, we haven't seen him have any minor league at bats because there hasn't been a minor league for him to have at bats in yet. So this is really the first competitive baseball that he's played since his senior season at UCLA. I love the future that he has. I don't want to anoint him anything quite yet. And right now there is a, a backlog in the outfield. You've got four legitimate everyday outfielders at the major league level. And maybe he comes up in 2022. Maybe Locaine is, I, I think that he's certainly playing the back 
nine. I'm not sure that he's putting out on 18 yet, but certainly his you know, most of his baseball is behind him. Do I see a future for Garrett Mitchell in a Milwaukee Brewers outfield on an everyday basis? Yeah, absolutely, I do. I just don't think it's going to happen this year, 2022 at the earliest. But let's let him develop as uh, at least a professional baseball player before we, you know, push him into the major leagues. And that's not, you know, artificially. Uh, you know, know, meddling with a service time or anything like that. And I know that that's been an issue with some teams, you know, with the, you know, Waukesha's own Jared Kelnick, it's an issue in uh, Seattle. Certainly it was an issue with Chris Bryant years ago. Uh, And I think that everybody's got to be really sensitive to that if he's ready. But I just, I'm, I'm not convinced that someone with such a small sample size as a professional athlete is quite yet ready for that top tier. But I like, I love what I see in the early going from him. Uh, he's got all the makeup of somebody who could be uh, in the major leagues for a long time and hopefully with the Brewers for a long time. Yeah, I think what's, I mean, among the many things that have been so impressive with him, the fact that he's hitting everything hard, his exit mm-hmm. velocities have been crazy. Um, he's getting hits off of uh, lefties, um, and he's also going opposite field plenty. I mean, he's doing all of those things that a lot of times it takes batters, you know, a while to kind of round into form and become that versatile. And he's doing all of those things already. And he's also only struck out uh, six times in 28 plate appearances, which isn't too shabby. He's not, you know, rushing himself at the plates. Um, he's He's being himself up there. But I think in uh, David's article about this, I think he hit it right on the head. I think 2022, you know, late season call up might even, you know, might be a stretch. It's not impossible. Um, Heck, was it uh, was it Garrett Crochet for the? Yeah. Yeah. Garrett um, Crochet. Yeah. yeah. Debuted in the same year. I mean, it's, it's not impossible, but I think 2023 is much more realistic. And um, like you also pointed out, Doug, there is already plenty enough of a log jam at outfield for him to overcome. But I mean, I have to imagine he is going to just fly up the minor league ranks. And then as soon as he hits triple a, uh, the questions is going to come back to fans. All right. When do we get to see this guy? Just like Hira, we saw him impress immediately in the minor leagues. He started climbing up the ranks very quickly. And it's like, all right, when's he coming? Well, and the so, difference I think there is because there was a positional need for Keston Hira to be pushed right, into the major leagues right. as opposed to, you know, again, four legitimate major league outfielders right now on the Brewers roster. So that, I think, takes some of the pressure maybe off of Garrett Mitchell. But again, like you said, Matt, I mean, we're talking about 28 plate appearances. So I think everybody just and, and I, you're right. I love everything that he's doing, uh, spraying the ball all over the place, which is great. But I think everybody just needs to you know, pump the brakes just a little bit on anointing him as, you know, the 2021 rookie of the year. Oh yeah, for sure. I agree with you, Doug, that he's not going to make his major league debut in 2021. It's just not going to happen. You know, they got all those outfielders under contract and, you know, even if a whole bunch of those guys get decimated with injury, uh, you're going to have, you're going to see guys like Tyrone Taylor or Corey Ray or Tristan Lutz or any of those other guys in the pipeline before you see Garrett Mitchell. Uh, what about week. a guy like Billy McKinney? That's uh, I'm I'm yeah, or intrigued or by him. Yeah, I mean he's just a journeyman who who's never had a full major league season. He's bounced around from organization to organization a little bit, but he's ripping the cover off the ball this year. And I I don't know that when you go into spring training, you're talking legitimately about a lot of battles for the the you know 25 man roster, 26 man roster. Um, but 
man, he might be one of those two or three guys that actually plays himself into a job in spring, not as a, not as a starter, but as maybe that fifth outfielder. Yeah. McKinney has been really impressive as well. Um, you know, he, him and Tyrone Taylor have really been having an interesting battle there because they've both mm-hmm. been playing really well offensively and defensively. Definitely. And, you know, it would be a really interesting battle for the fourth outfielder spot if uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. hadn't been signed. So now they're trying to create a fifth outfielder spot, which I don't think is a guarantee that the Brewers uh, have on their roster since Daniel Robertson can be uh, the super utility and can be the fifth outfielder if the Brewers need one. So, you know, I think the Brewers could try to keep him. I, I think, you know, you could have Derek Fisher also start the year in the IL, and they could try to keep him around. Tyrone Taylor has options. Uh, he's got a minor league option remaining. So I, I think there's a strong chance he ends up starting the season down in the minor league simply because he has that option and uh, Billy McKinney doesn't. So, yeah, that, that's a very interesting battle for sure. And um, when it comes to, you know, the long-term outfield picture there with Mitchell, uh, after the 2022 season, um, if Gar- if Evacel Garcia's option gets picked up, he, his contract is going to be done there. Lorenzo Cain's contract is going to be done after 2022. Jackie Bradley Jr. has a mutual option for 2023. Which, those are never picked up. Yeah, th- those are pretty much <laughs> never picked up. So at that point, you're, you're going to have a bunch of outfielder openings starting in 2023. And I think that's when uh, Garrett Mitchell could really uh, claim the job out there. Um, but if he shows up in 2022, it'll only be if one of those guys uh, gets hurt and there's a chance for regular everyday at bats for Mitchell. Yeah, um, I agree. You don't bring up him. You don't bring up Garrett Mitchell to, to sit him on the bench. He's one right. of those guys that has to play every day. Right, for sure. So they've got they've got plenty of time. It's not going to happen this year, and it'll only happen later in 2022 if someone gets hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, and then uh, going back now to, to Taylor and McKinney, uh, really kind of fight, fighting for some bench spots. And Craig Council and David Stearns have been saying a lot over the past couple of weeks that opening day is just one day. You know, we all make a big deal about the opening day roster and how it really kind of sets itself for the season. And perhaps in the past that's been the case. But with the way Stearns and Council build their rosters and go through a season, Opening day is just one day. You, you could have him on opening day roster, and you could send the you could send the guy down to the minor leagues the next day, or you could designate him for assignment the next day, or whatever. So, you know, perhaps they could go with extra pitchers for opening day. Perhaps they could go with extra position players to keep some of these guys. Uh, Matt, what, what do you think with uh, Taylor McKinney? Do you think uh, one of them uh, is able to to crank out a roster spot, or do you think both end up either well, Taylor would end up in the minors, and, and McKinney would be uh, a DFA candidate. I think Taylor to the minors for sure. Um, with McKinney, I was pretty much expecting him to be a DFA candidate until his recent little surge here, which I'm going to take fake credit for because I had tweeted during <laughs> one of the games uh, where he had a nice little sliding catch. I said, well, that's a nice little sliding catch, but he's going to need to pick it up on offense to make this team and it was either one or two at bats later where he started that three home run at bat streak. And now he's, you know, kind of improved his situation a little bit. But um, you've got an interesting roster crunch kind of happening here at the end of the bench, um, depending on whether the Brewers take 12 or 13 position players 
into the season, that gives you four to five bench spots. Two of those bench spots are already taken by your backup catcher, Pena, um, and one of the four starting outfielders. So that gives you two to three people left. Um, there was talk in a Rosenthal article about Urias potentially starting the year in AAA, but with uh, him heating up a little bit recently, I don't think that's going to happen. The team really seems to like uh, Daniel Robertson and his versatility. Um, and then Vogelbach, actually, who's actually been a candidate here for potential DFA, he's actually been looking okay recently. So <laughs> we've got more people than we've got bench spots. But I think McKinney and his ability to play outfield as well as first base in a pinch um, does give him a little bit of an edge. Um, he is left-handed, if I remember correctly, right? And yep. for whatever reason, blanking. So, you know, he does have that um similar ability to Vogelbach um, if it were to come down between the two of them. I, it's 50-50 for me right now, but I guess if anything, I'd almost be leaning towards him actually making this team. Whether that were to continue throughout the entire year, obviously, who knows, because a lot of things are going to happen here at the beginning. Um, and I think there's a good chance that the Brewers could carry 13 position players instead of 12 because they do have an off day per week for each of the first four weeks of April. Um, so they're not going to play any long stretches right away at the end of April, going into May, they have, I, th- I counted it today. I think it's like 17 games in a row, something ridiculous oh, um, where, yeah, they're going to need to start working that triple uh, a shuttle of relievers for sure. But at the beginning, I'm, I'm going to say that he makes the team. I, I, I could flip on that later in the night. <laughs> Who knows? Doug, what do you think? No, I think Billy McKinney makes the team. Um, left-handed batter can play first base. That helps with positional versatility. He doesn't have an option. Taylor does. So if it's two for me, their own Taylor has been this spring, and I give him the credit in the world. I think anybody who comes in and who has a shot at making it, uh, you know, on a major league roster, they can, you know, if they can do that, God bless them. But I think. McKinney, in my in my estimation, to me, he's got the leg. Uh, for everything that Matt was saying about the uh, schedule, I think that's important as well because it's it's a delicate balancing act that they have, right? Try to maximize what they have and what's in front of them to the player personnel that they're going to need. So my gut seems to indicate that they need uh, at least to begin that at bat. They can play a couple of different positions. Yeah, the the Brewers are facing really kind of a I, when you acquire this much depth and have so many guys to, to cover all these positions and when like the Brewers pride themselves on depth and everyone really kind of knows that, but you still, you've got a whole bunch of supply for a very limited amount of roster spots and, or I suppose it's kind of backwards, a whole bunch of demand for a limited supply of roster spots. Um, but e- either way, uh, the, they got so many guys and a lot of them, are probably deserving of being on a big league roster. Daniel Vogelbach is deserving of being on a big league roster. Billy McKinney is deserving of being on a big league roster. Tyrone Taylor, um, he's deserving of being on a big league roster. Craig Council has even said, you know, he's looking like a, a major league outfielder. You know, he he appears ready. So they got all these guys that are deserving of being on big league rosters, but they don't really appear to have the spots to to give them. So it's certainly going to be an, an interesting way for for how that could work, and um, especially for a guy like Vogelbach, where I think they're really depending on 
a deal to be reached on the designated hitter. And I think the Brewers are still holding out hope that it could happen, but it's not looking like uh, there's going to be a last minute deal. Who knows? I mean, there was a last minute deal uh, last season to get the expanded playoffs. So I I think the Brewers are holding out hope for that for, for Vogelbach. But if there's no last minute agreement to create the DH in the national league, I, I just don't see Vogelbach sticking on this on this roster, making the opening day roster. And since he's out of options, he would have to be traded or designated for assignment. Yeah, um, we we both came to that conclusion um, in separate articles. You had one today, um, and I had, had one the other day, and um, it pained both of us to write about it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm the same way for for everything you know that was just talked about. Even if they did. Um, agree to the DH. Yes, he's a good DH candidate, but you still have the same amount of roster spots and you're still in that crunch. So, you know, are you going to keep him around then over? Does McKinney all of a sudden become the DFA candidate over Vogelbach? I don't know. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't like it either. But for all those other guys that were named who have so much more flexibility um, when it comes to playing, I like him, but I'm, I'm sorry. We, we may have seen our uh, last bit of him. Unless some, some crazy injury happens here in the last week. Uh, you know, I guess I wouldn't put it past something like that happening. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I, it's unfortunate, but, you know, Daniel Vogelbach came in and he was a fan favorite. He's, you know, he looks like, you know, Chris Farley almost, you know. <laughs> yep. And, um, you know, I think he identifies with a lot of Milwaukeeans. Yeah. He said, you, you know what I mean by that? Um, because he looks like somebody that, you know, you walk into a bar and he's on the end, you know, swilling PBRs and that resonates. You mean, you, you look yeah. at, you know, the 1982 Brewers. I mean, that's one of the things that I think endeared that team along with the fact that they were a great team, you know, Gorman Thomas and Pete Vukovic, they owned a bar for crying out loud the manager owned a bar <laughs> in West Dallas for crying out loud. So that connects with Brewers fans, and it always has. And I say that with love as someone who's lived his entire life, most of his, almost my entire life in Wisconsin. Um, so, look, I get it, but there's just no place for him to play. There's not going to be a designated hitter in the National League this year. I mean, can you imagine if they if they made that change a week away from opening day? I mean, that that's yeah. that's insane. That's not going to happen. Uh, so you've got the collective bargaining agreement, which could change things, but that's not until the end of the season. So there's a possibility that a Vogelbach could come back next year but he also might be on an American League roster at that point as well, and he might be signed to a multi-year contract and not available to come back uh, come back to the Brewers. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of things are going to be figured out with the CBA that's coming up. But I just don't see a place for Daniel Vogelbach. It, it's unfortunate. Again, he came in last year, produced, former All-Star, connected with Brewers fans. He'll probably always be a Brewers fans uh, fan favorite. But there's just not a roster spot for him, unfortunately, right now on this team. There's just no place to play him. And, you know, that's that's you know, you guys were talking about depth. That's, I guess, the downside of having just right now too much depth. Now, you'd like to be able to spin that off and, you know, bring in a couple of all stars, maybe trade a couple of pieces of depth for an all star like they did a few years ago when they brought in Christian Yelich, they didn't know that he was going to turn into an MVP, but they knew that he was an all star caliber player and they traded off most of their top, you know, tier farm players for him. That turned out to be, you know, the right move, obviously, not just because of the fact that Christian Yelich turned himself into an MVP. You know, guys kind of faltered mostly along this, uh, you know, kind of along the side of the road. 
but that, that's that's what you you hope when you're a smaller market team just to bring in you use some of your depth to bring in you know maybe one or two cornerstones but i just don't see that happening this time around for vogelbach and it's unfortunate but it'll look somewhere i mean he's going to have a major league job in 2021 i just don't think it'll happen in milwaukee yeah i, I agree with you there doug and um yeah the the word we just each co- we, we all come back to is is unfortunate because you know if the players in the league have been able to come to an agreement and, and have the dh back here in the national league then you know it it'd all be fine he'd make this roster there wouldn't be any sort of drama about it they'd keep him on he'd be a a DH mostly and, and the Brewers would, you know, give some other DH at bats to, you know, some of their outfielders, giving them a day of rest, getting them all in the lineup. Um, and you could kind of platoon there, but yeah, because they weren't able to come to an agreement there, Vogelbach is likely going to be out of a job in Milwaukee. And, and yeah, the, the word just, it's unfortunate and um, it, it's been rough for him. And uh, you, you mentioned there the, the Yelich trade and like, you know, trading the, the depth, um, just kind of reminded me of of an article I wrote a like week or two ago, maybe about how the Brewers really kind of deviated from their original plan. Because you know, remember, all leading up to you know in, until January 24th of 2018, the the future all the Brewers fans were dreaming about was an outfield with Lewis Brinson and Brett Phillips and, and Monty Harrison and Corey Ray and all these guys and pretty much all of them have done nothing like you look at that original group of brewers prospects in that rebuild and who is leading the way. Most of them have really not turned out. You know, you've had the pitchers where with Woodruff and, and Burns um, they've turned out, but the, the hitters, you know, Lucas Ursig and, and Ray and, and all these guys, they haven't really done anything. And at some point, um, in 2017, probably, David Stearns realized that all these guys that I got, they're not that good. And he was able to he was able to to pivot while their value was still high, while, while, while the hype was still around and before the rest of the industry caught on that these guys weren't that good. And and Stearns was able to get some good guys out of them. He was able to get uh, Christian Yelich. He was able to get a Mike Moustakis and he was able to get these kinds of guys before anyone else really kind of understood that those players really kind of weren't that, that good. The, the first round of players that he got for that rebuild. And uh, like, that's something you really kind of don't see because normally for GMs, those types of players that, that you get, you get those, those big name prospects. You are, you know, banking everything that you have on them. You, you are betting the, you are betting everything that these guys that you got will work out. And, you know, sometimes you just take the um, it, it's just like a matter of pride almost, you know, just just trying to stick with those guys and proving that that they're going to work out. But Stearns didn't do that. He was willing to quickly pivot and and make the move. And it has worked out uh, extremely well and, and made him look like a genius. Matt Laporta. Yeah. Matt Laporta. I yeah. Mean- I bring up the name Matt Laporta, and you know exactly where I'm going with this. He was the linchpin in the CC Sabathia trade. He was yep. the guy who was protected. He was the guy that, oh, if we're going to give up Matt Laporta, we got to get CC Sabathia back. How mm-hmm. did that work out? Um, and I got another name from another sport, Brian Brom. Ah. The Packers drafted Brian Brom in the second round 
of the NFL draft the same time that Brett Favre was retiring, and there were talking heads on ESPN that were making the argument for Brian Brom over Aaron Rodgers. Brian Brom is the future of this team. He's going to be the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers long-term. Aaron Rodgers, I just don't see it, but Brom has all the tools that every NFL GM, every NFL offense is looking for. How did that work out? I, I, I have a saying that I use on the radio frequently, and um, I think there's more. I, I don't know if I've used it with you guys or not, but I think there's more wisdom to it than maybe it appears at, the, at first blush. But it's this. Until you've done it, you haven't done it. And what I mean by that is until you get to the major leagues, until you get to the NFL, until you prove it, you haven't done it. You haven't proved proven it yet you can have all the accolades at every level that's not the top level and then once you get to that top level then it's sink or swim time because nothing else matters i don't care what matt laporta did in the minor leagues i care what matt laporta would do in the major leagues you know all i was saying was um you know sometimes you've got guys that don't prove it and you know and and once they get to the that top level, that wherewithal, that that X factor, whatever it is to succeed at the top level. And that's how you get guys like Matt Laporta. That's how you get guys like all those to be the Brewers outfield in 2021. It's, it's not, interesting. I'm not sure how much of that you caught. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. Sorry. Sometimes the internet likes to have a mind of its own. No, no, go ahead. I'll shut up. Oh. <laughs> um, it's interesting that one of the big Brewers philosophies outside of young controllable talent, we know that classic saying, mm-hmm. um, has always been to be strong up the middle. So your catchers, your middle infielders, your outfielders. Um, and when it came to that organizational depth past the major leagues, it was, like you said, outfielders and middle infielders, not so much the catchers for a while. Now, Things have shifted. Um, If you look all over the top 30 prospects list for the Brewers on MLB Pipeline and other sites, you've got still a lot, lots of shortstops, lots of shortstops, plenty of catchers, but not so much those outfielders anymore. Yes, we did just draft Garrett Mitchell in the first round last year, um, but we have used a lot of those as assets and not necessarily replenished them to the point where you see them all over the top prospects lists. And that is always something which bounces off of what Doug was saying. That's something that's always important to remember with your prospects is it's not necessarily always about what you're expecting them to do for the club someday. Those are assets to potentially be able to acquire Major League Baseball ready talent. And that has caused doing exactly those types of moves has caused our system rankings to drop and drop and drop in all of these um, sites, but it's been at the expense of us making three straight playoffs in a row. And so that's always part of the equation when it comes to drafting certain players and drafting certain positions and then how you utilize them. Yes, uh, these players are expected to be the future, but not necessarily for your team. So it's okay when some of those players end up moving on and they do end up netting you a CC Sabathia or a Christian Yelich. And and like I was saying too earlier, which which of those prospects that the Brewers, you know, traded to, to get those big league assets, which of them have turned out, which of them do Brewers fans like legitimately wish that they could have had 
back on the team. That, that Michael really, Brantley, that, the throw-in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Michael right? Brantley, but but that that was Doug Melvin too. So yeah. like, which of sure. Stern's moves from from this latest rebuild? Mauricio Dubon is the only one who has yeah. really kind of done anything at the big league level. And, and it's they, not they like trade he's mashing by any means. No, it's like, not like he's mashing, but I mean, he's probably earning that starting center field job in, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he was traded because the Brewers didn't have a spot for him. They, mm-hmm. they had uh, Orlando Arcia. They had Keston Hira to, to take second base. They had Lorenzo Cain in center field. They had no spot to put him. So that's why they ended up trading him. And, and he's the only one that ended up. Um, really kind of doing anything. But Lewis Brinson hasn't done anything. You know, Brett Phillips I'd like to have back just for the sheer enjoyment factor, uh, for, <laughs> for the sheer entertainment. I'd love to have Brett Phillips on the roster. Um, but often, but he's he's a backup outfielder, to to be completely honest. He he was the, the last guy on the roster there for the Rays in the World Series. And I love the guy, but he's a backup outfielder. And Monty Harrison, probably the same thing. Asan Diaz, um, he's battling for a second base job down in Miami. And Jorge Lopez, what's he doing now? Uh, Cody Medeiros, what's he doing? So really kind of all those guys that, that they traded, they haven't really done much outside of Dubon. So, you know, the, the Brewers have made the, the strong moves in, in that direction. So uh, it's, it's worked out uh, fairly well. Um, for the Brewers when, when it comes to using those assets and, and using them wisely and trading the guys that you know or you have a feeling that they aren't going to be able to produce at the big league level and getting value back for them while also keeping the guys that you know are going to be going to be good. You, you kept the Brandon Woodruffs. You kept the Corbin Burns. You kept the, the Keston Huras. You kept those guys. Um, because I know in a lot of those trade talks there in 2017, 2018, um, a lot of people are like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, maybe maybe you could throw in a, a Woodruff or a Burns because they hadn't really established themselves yet. Um, I, I was so excited because I thought I was worried the Brewers were going to have to give up some some of their big pitching prospects for for Yelich in 2018. And when I saw that it was Brinson and Diaz as opposed to Brinson and Burns or, or Woodruff or whoever that was still a prospect at the time or, or Freddie Peralta. You know, that, that it was the hitters that really kind of went. And then Jordan Yamamoto was kind of a throw in. Like I was I was so excited because, you know, they were able to keep those pitching prospects and, you know, Stearns in the front office correctly evaluated that these were the guys that are going to end up being good. And they kept them and they traded away the guys that, that ended up busting elsewhere. That's something that you see the Dodgers front office do. That's something that you see. Um, all the big time front successful front offices do. They they keep the guys that they know are going to be good and they trade away the guys that everyone else is high on, but they end up busting in, in the past, which is also kind of why I'm wary of doing trades for prospects from the Dodgers, but that's just me. <laughs> and, and one of those uh, pitching prospects that I mentioned, Freddie Peralta, uh, he's, uh, getting into a battle here, it seems like, for the fifth starter job. Uh, he has really pitched well this spring. Um, and, and Josh Lindblom appears to be the guy that he's battling with for that fifth starter role. Uh, Craig Council has said that both of them are going to end up starting games uh, by the end of April or so. So the Brewers are going to be going to a six-man rotation, it looks like, a little bit in the season. But they're going to be starting with a five-man rotation 
And you know who's going to get who's going to get that first spot? Freddie Peralta or Josh Lindblom? Uh, Peralta's been pitching well. He's going to get uh, the next Cactus League start, while Lindblom is going to be pitching in a B game for the second straight time. Uh, Doug, what do you think here for for this fifth starter spot? Would you like to see Freddie get it, or would you like to see uh, Lindblom get it to start? Well, I guess it depends on whether or not these Cactus League games mean that when when it comes to those types of decisions. Because if you just look at Lindblom versus Peralta, Peralta's pitch better spray. There's no question about that. They've got similar number of innings, and Peralta's ERA is, what, like three and a half points lower than, than Lindblom's. I also think I also think that Freddie Peralta's ceiling is a little bit higher than Lindblom. I know that Lindblom maybe has a little bit more experience, if you will. Um, you know, I know that uh, he certainly was uh, a great pitcher, before he came to the Brewers in the Korean League, but I, I just think that when I look at those two guys, and Craig Council's right, I mean, you, you talk about the opening day roster, and it changes so much, especially on a team like the Brewers. They're both going to get starts. Right now, Peralta, to me, has the leg up on Lindblom, but again, I mean, I think that both of them can pitch out of the bullpen. I think both of them can be starters. I think both of them can be spot starters if necessary, so I think that there's a place for both of these guys on the roster, both but if we're just talking about training, Peralta's got the leg up. Yeah, when I uh, wrote my perfect rotation article in the <laughs> winter, I had thrown Freddie Peralta in as my fifth starter. Now, that happened to be at the expense of Hauser at the time, not Lindblom. Um, Hauser, although he got rocked a little bit today i know the beginning of it was off some soft contact um but he had looked better before today um i still think they're they're dead set on him staying in the starting rotation so we're just going to assume that he is staying there so yes it is coming down to peralta versus lindblom the the weird thing with lindblom is that he really became unlocked as a successful pitcher when he converted from reliever to starter um that's how he kind of reinvented himself, how he reinvented himself um, in the KBO. He had started his career off as a reliever, and it wasn't going particularly well for him. Um, but the numbers just, they have Freddie looking better. And Freddie has just, like, he's looked the part in spring training. He's using that slider more that was rumored before last year, but he still really didn't end up really using during the year. Now he's working out of the bullpen and the two pitch mix really, you know, kind of fit his uh, scenario a little bit better. But he it, he just has that look like he if he is starting games that he is going to be able to effectively use a three pitch mix. And that is huge for him compared to how he started uh, as a rotation at rotation piece. So in the end. I don't know who it's going to be. Council's probably not going to tip his hand until, honestly, that fifth game of the season when he announces the actual starting pitcher. Um, it may be that both of them pitch that game and one pitches three or four innings and the other pitches three or four innings, and you get a nice little change of pace between the two. One's an initial outgetter and one's your second outgetter. Um, when it comes to Council, he does all kinds of crazy things with his pitching staff. We know that by now. So... There, there may not be an official answer to this question, but I, I have to agree that if it's just uh, looks and numbers and everything, Peralta deserves it. He, he officially deserves that spot now. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think Freddie's been been really impressive this spring. Uh, and like you mentioned there, uh, Matt, with uh, Council doing you know, a whole bunch of crazy things with his pitching staff, uh, what he's doing with Josh Hader is, is a little bit interesting because it's actually not the completely crazy thing to do, um, in which, which means it actually might be the completely crazy thing to do. Uh, so Council announced that uh, Josh Hader would be used in a more traditional closers role this year. He'd have the ninth inning. He's being more of a of a one inning guy this year, and in, instead of being used in the the fireman type of role, pitching multiple innings, the uh, sixth and seventh, the seventh and eighth, uh, whenever really kind of the big moments uh, are, the the clutch moments are, and you know, is this the right move for Josh Hader? Is this the right move for the Brewers to take with Josh Hader, who's such an elite bullpen weapon out there that can go multiple innings? You know, is this someone that should be confined to just a ninth inning role, uh, p- pitching one inning in, in a traditional closer spot? Because, you know, they've had so much success with him in the non-traditional spots. Uh, it almost makes a ton of sense to to keep him in that kind of role. So, uh, Doug, what are you thinking here? Do, do you like the idea of having Josh Hader in a traditional closers role, or do you not like it? I do like it, and I, I strongly like it for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you've got Devin Williams, who can shorten games, and it's not all on Josh Hader. So that's one big, big element of it. The other part of it is, with Josh over the last couple of years, what we've seen is him being used so much that by the end of the season, I think he runs out of gas and usage. And it wasn't necessarily the case last year because it was a 60-game season. And hopefully that, I guess, air quotes, rest that all pitchers were forced to have last year, hopefully that can pay some dividends. But we've seen him you know, really tire at the end of games or at the end of uh, the, the season when he's used day after day after day in multiple inning situations. So if you can save a little powder because you've got Devin Williams, who is probably a better pitcher than Josh Hader, I mean, small sample size, I guess. Um, and I understand what I'm saying, but Devin Williams, I think, is the future of this team when it comes to closing. Um, to me, it just makes so much sense to do that. I mean, I remember when they had, you know, Axford and K-Rod back in 2011, and and that just shortened up games, and you didn't have to ask your closer to do multiple things. If you can just put Josh Hader in that role in the ninth inning, have him start innings as opposed to trying to get you out of jams, if the Brewers do have a lead, to me, that's the smart move, the most prudent move to make, and and I am fully on board with what Craig Council's doing. I will say... I trust Craig Council and the moves that he makes. I think Josh Hader will be great. And honestly, whatever uh, situation they put him in, I always had this dream that they were going to go back to what they originally used him as in 2018, really being, like you said, the fireman, fireman who would come in and put out the fires and that Devin could take over that closers role and really just you knew when you got to the ninth inning, it, it's over. It, it is just done mm-hmm. for the other team because there is, there's just no chance for them to come back at this time. Um, I, again, I'm okay with it. It's, it worked out great for us last year. I know it will work out great for us going forward. I just I really liked Hater 
in that previous role, and I would have liked to see it again. Um, I'm certainly not complaining, though. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, the Brewers have a number of uh, electric dudes, I, I believe Craig Council would put it uh, back there in the bullpen to go with. But yeah, I kind of would like to see Williams in that closers role, too. But um, Hader has said that that he likes uh, the, the ninth inning role and, and being in that closer spot. And my theory on it is uh, he really kind of mostly likes it because that's what arbitration is going to pay him for. Yep, uh, because, I was just saying, I was thinking mm-hmm, money. Yeah. That's that's a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right, David. Yeah, because when he went ar- when he went through arbitration the first time, he lost his case because he didn't have the gaudy saves totals, which is what arbitration essentially pays for for relievers. If you want the big big payday as a reliever, you have to have big saves numbers. And uh, he was trying to surpass, I believe it was Jonathan Papelbon's first time arbitration record. And Papelbon had a whole bunch more saves than Josh Hader did. So Hader lost his case and, um, you know, the Brewers knew exactly uh, why he lost that case. So that's exactly what they were arguing. And Hader heard every word of it. And, you know, now he's been in the the traditional closer spot and he's been picking up the saves. And I, I think that's exactly why he wants to stick there because he wants to get those saves numbers and he wants to get the money in arbitration. And then, you know, once he gets beyond arbitration, then, you know, he can worry about being in whatever fireman role. But that's the way for him to get paid. So, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, love being in the ninth inning role. It is it is mostly I don't know about purely, but mostly because he'd get paid more money for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, And and I'm sure there's a level of, you know, he 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 works off of kind of getting amped up and uh, that is real easy to do when you're coming in for that pressure ninth inning situation but mm. i mean he made it was towards the top of the projected arbitration range wasn't it uh yeah. that he made yeah. this year so but because yeah, he no led surprise. the national league in saves last year he yes, only had he 13 but because it was a shortened <laughs> season but but he led the league so yep yeah, yeah. no it's I, I totally agree yeah plus going through the arbitration process after a shortened season it's like who knows what's going to happen there um, but yeah, it, it's certainly interesting. And, um, another guy I have a, an interesting theory on is Jacob Nottingham, um, because he is, you know, still like DHing a little bit in spring training. He hasn't been able to get back to actually, uh, catching and, uh, for, for Nottingham, he needs to be able to catch because like we were saying with Vogelbach, there is no designated hitter. So for him to really kind of have a, a chance to make an impact on this roster, he needs to be able to catch. He's also the third string catcher. The Brewers are not going to carry three catchers on their 26-man roster. And unless there's an injury, he's not going to make the team. He's out of minor league options, so they've got no place to put him. And I think uh, they're slow playing his return a little bit and being super safe with his thumb so that they can stash him on the injured list to start the season. And then two weeks into the season, when he's fully healthy, they can try to sneak him through outright waivers, get him off the 40 man roster, have no one claim him because everyone else should already have their catcher situation settled by then. And then they can stash him down in triple a off the 40 man. And they still keep him in the organization. That's my theory. Yeah. When you said that, I kind of, looked at that and was like, that is interesting. And it makes a heck of a lot of sense. 
Um, yeah. I had thought early that he might start the season on the IL, but I wasn't honestly sure if he was going to actually play in spring training games at that point. Now he's started to play, but like you said, you know, he's not catching yet. And the only way he would actually make this roster is having some of that Billy McKinney type versatility where he can play outfield and first. If Nottingham is able to catch, well, he can play catcher in first and at least he would have, you know, an off chance of making it. Um, although he's not left-handed like McKinney and or uh, Vogelbach. But yeah, the the part about sneaking him down through a DFA because everyone else has their catching situation figured out was the particularly interesting part of that theory. Um, and I think that definitely plays out as a possibility. Um, not guaranteed to happen. Obviously, someone might see him yoink. We're going to grab that guy and uh, see if yeah. we can unleash his offensive potential again. But there, there's a good chance that it would. So, yeah, we'll see if uh, the crafty Stearns uh, can make something crazy work with that one. Yeah, because, I mean, you know that the Brewers like him um, and that they want to kind of keep him around. And I, I think they signed, because like I was saying before, um, previously after they signed Luke Maley, signing Luke Maley was an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they lose Nottingham, if he's not able to um, make it through, then uh, they would have Maley that they could call up that's big league ready in case there's an injury. Um, if, if Nottingham sticks around, they can call him back up, or they could do Maley, you know, whoever's playing better. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's really kind of their insurance policy, and I thought they were just going to end up trading Nottingham at some point during the offseason because mm-hmm. he was out of options. They kept Narvaez and Pena. So he's a third man on the depth chart. So uh, he needs a place to play. And since he had the offseason thumb surgery, he hasn't been able to showcase himself this spring and then essentially get a trade for a mid-level prospect somewhere. Because if he had been healthy all spring, then I think the Brewers could have traded him uh, for a mid-level prospect or something like they did with Eric Kratz in 2019. They traded him for C.J. Hinojosa uh, with, to the Giants. Uh, in 2019, because he was the third catcher on the roster that year. Uh, he wasn't going to be sticking around. They weren't going to be able to, to stash him in the minor leagues. So they had him healthy through camp. They played him. And then when it got towards the end of camp, they traded him to someone who needed a backup catcher. And I think that's, I think that was originally the plan maybe with Nottingham. But when he had to have the, the thumb surgery after essentially Devin Williams' airbender and Corbin Burns's cutter, broke his thumb uh he uh is really kind of in a tough spot hasn't been able to catch all spring and if you have a catcher that can't catch no one's really going to trade much for him so uh yeah it's certainly been a difficult uh spot for for nottingham and that's just kind of kind of my theory that he's going to end up you know trying to trying to sneak through waivers I thought that was really insightful. That was, uh, you're probably right. And, you know, you you have to use the system as the, the rules allow you to use the system because, look, they're trying to do everything to de-brewers Major League Baseball right now with, you know, outlawing shifts in the minor leagues and things like that. Mm-hmm. The, the stupid three-batter rule, that's an an, that absolutely an anti-brewers rule because the brewers had success with it in the 2018 playoffs. And the last thing that MLB, I think, really wanted was to have the Milwaukee Brewers, God forbid, in the World Series when <laughs> yeah. you could possibly have the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I think that there's a couple of things that uh, have been really 
you know, disadvantageous for the way that Craig Council likes to manage. So if this is within the rules, I, I don't have a problem with it. The you know, small markets are behind the eight ball enough when it comes to just trying to have a level playing field with, you know, the big boys of the world, whether it's the Dodgers or the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Mets or whomever in these big markets that are going out and spending, you know, this mad money, this monopoly money that the brewers just don't have access to. So if that's what they have to do, okay, that's fine with me. Yeah. It's just, it's the type of stuff that David Stearns does and, and he really kind of has to do to, to compete in, in this market and, and keep as many, uh, good players as he can and you know should an opportunity arise to get Nottingham every day at bats then you know maybe he can prove himself to be something he hasn't really gotten that opportunity at all in the past couple of years so it's really kind of tough to tell what the Brewers have exactly in him and I mean Mario Feliciano Matt's favorite uh, is really kind of shooting up the pipeline and he's uh he's going to be ready soon so uh, this is kind of going to be a, a last chance for for Nottingham uh, this year. So uh, tough spot for him, but uh, getting ready for uh, opening day. And uh, Brandon Woodruff, opening day starter. Doug, big fan? How, do, how are you not? How can anybody yeah. <laughs> not? I mean, what else does the guy have to do? No, Brandon Woodruff is the real deal. He's such a... a He's a great pitcher, but he's also a hard worker. He's also somebody who's humble, who understands his roots. He goes back to Mississippi every year. He's just somebody that you can sit down and have a beer with, and then he can go out and mow you down. And that's what you want from uh, you know anybody on your roster. But a frontline starting pitcher, he's got the makeup. He's got everything that you could possibly have. And, by the way, he can also rake. So I, oh. I love when pitchers can rake, I mean, that's just, oh, chef's kiss right there um yeah so i mean i look i think the brewers have a really good one-two punch in their rotation and after that things can get a little hairy but i love the two guys that they've got in woodruff and burns as your one two and i I don't think that there was really a decision to make by the way it's also nice to have a little bit of stability in the starting rotation to have the same guy pitch opening day two Mm -hmm. years in a row hasn't happened since giovanni gallardo in 2014 so if Brandon Woodruff can stick around for a few years in Milwaukee, I think that's only going to help this team and, you know, build back, you know, some of the things that I think that we've lost in the last year. And that's just connection to the guys that we root for. We, we lost, you know, so much last season with only having 60 games, for example. And yeah, the Brewers did make it to the playoffs, but they were the last team to make it to the playoffs. They had a losing record last year. Uh, guys didn't hit. It was a lost season for guys like Yelly and Avi Garcia and, and um, you know, Omar Narvaez. I mean, these guys, Keston here, either hitting at or below 200. Uh, so, I, look, if it, I think the Brewers are going to be okay this year. As I said at the outset, I don't know that they're going to win the division, but I think that they're going to be better than a lot of people think they're going to be. And, and Brandon Woodruff is going to be a big part of that. Yeah, and you mentioned Brandon Woodruff. Uh, be a great guy to have a beer with and talk with. We should get him on the cold brew podcast here and share a beer with yeah, him. Nice. Yeah, that that, like that, that like gives it. me an idea. You guys can compare beards. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Uh, I, I can have my beard grown beard. out by then, and, and oh, maybe it'll go. be longer than his. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and you mentioned a, a Yelich came back to normal after a tough season. He had a grand slam here on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's six for his last nine at bats there in spring training so uh, he appears to be back to normal and christian yelich getting back to normal is uh, great news for everybody 
Yeah, um, that was that was painful last year to watch. And you can talk about small sample size all you want. And I thought it was funny when um, Christian had his first media availability and Adam McAlvey, who's a good friend. I think he's a great writer. But when uh, Adam asked him, how would you assess your season in 2020? And Yelly just looked right in the camera and said, I thought it went great. How about you? No, it sucked. He was terrible last year. He was flailing at pitches. He looked uncomfortable the entire season. And we were all trying to come up with reasons why, because they couldn't go back and look at video. And he's like, well, I never really did that anyway. So that wasn't it. It was just a prolonged slump that he was never able to get out of. He did some, I mean, look, he hit the ball when he did hit the ball, he hit the ball hard, but he was fooled by breaking pitches that we've never seen him be fooled by before. Um, He was just waving at stuff. And uh, was it a lingering effect of the knee injury from the year prior? I, I, I don't know. And I, I didn't even know if Christian could possibly know. Uh, it was a different offseason for him, certainly. I don't think the stop and the start helped him at all. But he's a superstar player who had a terrible season in 2020. You can, If you can get him, him back to anything close to what he was in 2018 and 2019, I think this that's one of the big reasons why I think this team is going to be okay. They made it to the playoffs a year ago, and nobody hit outside of Vogelbach, and he wasn't even on the team for most of the year. So if yeah. you can get you know, Garcia and, and Hira and Yelich to do something in the batter's box this year, they're going to score more runs, and I think they're going to be a team that is they could win. I'm picking them to win about 85, 86 games. I, maybe I'm, I don't know if that's overly optimistic or not, but that's kind of where, where I see this team right now. And that, to me, is good enough to certainly compete deep into September for one of the two wildcard spots. Mm-hmm. Kristen Yelich now with the second highest OPS on the team in spring training behind Nick Kale. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. People. It is the double and a home run. How many? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, how many played appearances for Nick he's, Kale? He's five. Three for five. <laughs> um, he's got a double and a home run. Um, <laughs> for your amazing 1.9 OPS. That's um, oh, unbelievable. I wonder if he can only keep that up. Yeah. Yeah, right. But I think when you think about uh, what the keys were for the Brewers to be more competitive this year, it's hard not to be excited at this point. Because what did they need to do? They needed to make sure that players like Christian Yelich, Narvaez, Kira, and Avi, that let's say two out of four, three out of four, two out of four, one of them was Yelich, you know, improved on last year's uh, offensive performance. At this point, all of them are looking better in spring you needed to fix the corner infield spots well you fixed first kind of by uh default with Wong coming in and here and moving over and Shaw hasn't looked bad for third base but either way it's going to be better than whatever platoon situation we worked through last year you needed to count on Kane coming back and with Kane coming back you also have Bradley Jr. in the mix and you needed the pitching to essentially repeat what it did last year for the most part, which they had strong starting pitching and strong bullpen. And for the most part, that pitching still looks like it's going to be good again. All of the um, regular suspects from last year, for the most part, are looking good again this spring. So with all that combined, with that being the recipe for Brewers and what they've actually done this spring, I mean, I'm expecting 85 to 86 wins too at this point. It's hard not to, especially when you look at how much they should be able to beat up on the division with the teams like the Pirates and the Reds, 
um, and hopefully the Cubs, who really didn't do much to improve this offseason. Yeah, I think it's going to be a much stronger season than uh, a lot of people think. You know, I might even go 88 to to 90 wins if all goes, you know, super well, if all these guys, yeah. I mean, the offense is, is looking really good. Colton Wong is hitting pretty well. Garcia is hitting well. Uh, you know, JBJ, Kang, Yellow hitting well. And if, you know, the pitching staff continues to stay where they were or, or get even better um, and, and the hitting really kind of gets back to where they have been, I think they can easily be a 90-win team uh, if it all goes well. So a lot to be excited about. And that's the beauty of a new season. You know, it's it's full of possibilities. Anything can happen. And, and you're, you're dreaming on, on all these different things and, and all these different guys having great years. And, you know, it's soon to begin. And uh, that, that's really just kind of the, the big exciting part is soon to begin. And, and fans are going to be able to be in the stands, uh, which is awesome. And... Uh, we'll be able to to get into more of that next week uh, when we have what will essentially be our uh, season preview episode because that'll be right before opening day. Um, it's it's coming up. It's just about a week, so uh, we're out of time for this week's episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. But uh, be sure to tune in next week for sure uh, for that season preview. It's going to be great, uh, and you know there's there's a lot to be excited about, a lot to look forward to. And uh, it's just going to be a, a very interesting and and hopefully very fun uh, 2021 season. So that'll do it for us this week on the Cold Brew Podcast. Doug Russell, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, and joining us here uh, on the Cold Brew Couple Podcast. Of different times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> second time now. Of, right. Full time friend of the full time friend of the podcast now, Doug Russell. David, I talked to you last week uh, on my podcast, uh, and and I said it and I meant it. And Matt, I've had you on as well. Anytime you guys want to have me on, I love coming on with you guys and talking some Brewers baseball. And you guys are welcome to come on my show, uh, and I'll be bugging you throughout the entire season. So it goes both ways, <laughs> oh, and I uh, and I appreciate it. So uh, thanks guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And we'll be bugging you as well. And we'll be sure to, to <laughs> book you again a couple more times. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, so uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Doug Russell. Um, follow Matt at MKMatt13. And I am at DGasper24. Be sure to follow our podcast at Cold Brew underscore pod. So that'll do it for us this week. Uh, be sure to, to tune in again. Set your... Uh, Notifications for another episode next week of the Cold Crew Podcast.